Welcome back to the show. My first guest is Luis Barajas. Luis graduated from UCLA with a bachelor's in sociology and completed his MBA at Claremont Graduate University. Luis is the first Latino in the U.S. to receive the Certified Financial Planner designation and first minority to serve on the National Board of the Financial Planning Association. His client base extends from those earning $25,000, $250,000, or into the millions. Luis is the author of several financial advice books. Of principal interest today's theme is The Latino Journey to Financial Greatness, 10 Steps to Creating Wealth and Happiness for You and Your Family. Luis has surely made it uh, to many a media outlet, including radio, television, many finance publications. He joins our community radio station this morning, for which we are very happy. Luis Baraja joins me now in Studio A. Welcome to the program, Luis. Good morning, Claudia. How are you? Oh, I am fine. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, actually. It's been a busy week and uh, just looking forward to the rest of the year, actually. The rest of the whole half year. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff planned. Exactly. Well, in your work, you alert financial professionals to the cultural idioms among their clients, critical in sparking uh, to staying on track with realizing their financial potential. So, Louis, let's start with the very basic array of needs these households in particular met. You have words of advice for financial planners, the general immigrant Latino constituency, as well as for clients. Well, to even take it to a bigger level, what I do is I actually have uh, a, a broad-based you know, for, focus on, on the underserved. So that's, that's what's important to me is how do we provide financial planning for people who cannot afford it? And because most people who can't afford it think that financial planning is about a product. Okay, so you're you're working then uh, with various, and what we're going to do today is all, we also have in our studio uh, a dear friend of mine, Gina Nessel, and she is an educator at Santa Ana High School and a resident of Orange County for over 34, 35 years. How many years exactly, Gina? I came here in 1973. All right. Okay. It's the big 4-0. Okay. Really close to the mics. I don't want anybody to miss what you've got to say either. So, uh, and, and in her capacity as an educator at Santa Ana High School, with a, I think the majority are, or maybe what percentage are Latino households that it's a catchment area for? It's between 98 and 99%. Okay. So Gina can speak with a, a great deal of authority about households as she can see up close are, are navigating various institutions and she can talk to the complexities of the poverty of culture and the immigrants' lack of familiarity with navigating educational, business, and governmental systems that creates this unwieldy bind for those families uh, in reaching their financial future. So let's then talk about, you've talked, Luis, about some there's some drawbacks that gets that people started on the wrong track, and we want to unpackage as many of those as we can, so we can all appreciate why this bind happens and confounds families that aren't reaching their their prosperity that they could that is in their potential. Right. Well, what happens is that you know when we have immigrants, especially that come from different uh, countries to the United States, and they. They focus on on most of what's happening back home. They're, 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 they're focused on their culture and they're focused on also the class that they come in. And so what happens when they're working with financial um, advisors and it's mostly focused, let's say, on education planning, the advisors here will focus on 
purchasing a product like a 529 plan where you have to go deeper, especially if you're dealing with Latino students, and you have to take a look at what their grades are. You have to take a look at um, their self-esteem, their confidence. Not only that, but you have to take a look at also the household. Do the parents have any prior experience with uh, in, in any kind of college uh, background or education or how to get the kid in to college, but not just in, get through and graduate from college? And Gina, you have a lot to say about that. You were just telling me as we're preparing for this show earlier how you've got the 12 plusers who are uh, at the cusp. They have they have to graduate some of them to meet uh, the requirements for DACA. So, what what is a case study you can give us where that's happening? Well, I had an a few experiences where the students just did not realize if they passed the. Uh, the requirements to get a diploma where they can then move forward. They were more into the present day, what's happening right now, not even into next week. Right. Those are issues, again, that, that come back from a kind of a cultural perspective that we look at, you know, living for today, um, not having that delayed gratification, kind of what's, what's, a, what's our future look like? Do we have a compelling future for a lot of immigrants that come here and are raising children? And so... Money is a big aspect of that. I mean, it's a huge aspect of that. And so if, in general, the U.S. population is going to succeed in the future, we need to focus on helping people right now who are, I go back to being underserved, where they are not getting the help to achieve a certain level of prosperity. Because we know the largest growing demographic in America is the Hispanic demographic. And also, we always talk about the trillion dollar spending power, but we never talk about what the earning power or the savings power is of this or yes. of this group. Yes. And well, Gina. I wanted to add one thing you were talking about, Luis, you were talking about uh, people looking back at what was happening at home. And I find that my students and their families, they have one foot in the United States and one foot back home. As Luis was saying, yes. So it's very difficult to figure out where are are you, that family, going to be in 10 years, 20 years? And it's not quite clear to the family themselves. What are they working for? Yeah, it's, it's you know, I used to think that that was, might have been a problem. I don't know if that's a problem. It's kind of nice to be bicultural. But the, 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 the problem is, though, is learning the, the financial economic system of the United States and knowing how to work it. And so one of the things that when people do, uh, do not have a lot of money, um, and you're working again on the on the financial planning side, the advisors are working on, well, what can we cut on their budget instead of focusing in how can we get them more education? How can we get them to focus on their unique abilities? How can we get them to earn more money? And and those are the things that nobody's paying attention to. And that's where we need to focus on is, is all those areas that nobody's paying attention because it's the typical generic financial planning models that we've used for uh, people born here who just have a certain mindset. And so we need to kind of get them to think a little bit outside the box. And, and Gina, you're saying without that, uh, without getting that uh, high school diploma, then there is that in a less uh, reduced ability to to be able to qualify for based some certain employment. They, that The high school certificate is one thing. The diploma is one thing. So without that, they're, they're in the moment they're thinking, I'm going to earn some money, but they're not seeing it in terms of what Luis is talking about is – how could I earn? I could earn more if I just clear the bar, just finish, if I pass these courses, just finish these other requirements so that I can I can be out there in the world and, and then move and train myself on to some, uh, you know, uh, what kind of, there's vocational or sort of basic associate degree at the, the community college or an eye on, you know, a four-year kind of a 
a college degree. To, to attend community college, you do not have a high school diploma or a, a completion. However, um, what I've noticed is if a student of mine or um, of other, uh, you know, other friends, they have a job and they're, ga they're gaining money and being able to, to help the family out, they lose track of the long term. They're just very pleased with the fact that they have a job and they're able to contribute. And it, 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 it isn't really anything that they're working on in terms of, well, what happens five years from now? Where will I be? What do I want to do? It seems like there's not that control thought of being able to say, this is what I want and this is where I'm going. It's more like, oh, I have a job. I'll keep a job. I'll always try to have a job. Well, you know, it goes back to there's four factors when I that I work with when I'm working with uh, families. And one of the things that I try to teach them is the whole concept of uh, one is the first one is perceived control, is that they don't have a fatalistic attitude towards their future, that there is some level of control that they can have if they actually put the effort forth. The second thing is perceived progress. You have to monitor that progress. It's really important that when you're working with families that they see that sometimes, um, even though it doesn't appear that they're moving forward, that they're showing them how they're moving forward. Um, the third thing is actually, uh, actually getting them emotionally connected, not just to their own family, but to their community and to their schools and to their teachers. Um, it's really, really important. And the fourth thing that I focus on is really figuring out how to get them to think about a compelling future vision. Because if you can't think about a compelling future vision, something down the road, you will automatically focus on just what's available right now. That compelling future vision will give you that, that what teachers need is that delayed gratification mindset to say, you know what, I don't need to work right now. I can wait four years and get a BA, or I can go a couple more years and get my master's, or go a little longer and become a doctor or a lawyer. And I know that by delaying that gratification in the long run, I am going to earn more money to help out not only my own family, but my own community as well. Well, that's the theory. That's the uh, insight. Where, how do we see operationalizing this? The, 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 you know, if it is, if the household's in the moment about holding it together, how does this uh, long-term thinking, uh, you know, I know you've been very generous, Luis Barajas, in uh, extending yourself. You've, you've come from, you've, you've scraped out a living from uh, the hard knocks from your own childhood. You had so much responsibility by the time you were 13. Mm -hmm. I didn't get that in a whole bio, but that's, folks, you can check it out. Um, and so where, other than, I mean, revelatory features and opportunistic aspects of your own background, that was a really... Um, a, a, it was a phenomenal and a, a, a standout kind of situation. But how do we see other households in general to uh, stepping out of that, uh, as we said, in the moment mindset to uh, realizing yeah. their fuller potential? What I think it's going to be, it's going to take, unfortunately, it's going to take a lot of the people who have been able to make it out of their barrios, out of their communities, out of the ghettos to actually come back and show um, the kids in schools that there's just... A different way, maybe not a better way, but a different way. So we need a lot of a lot of role models, a lot of mentors coming back to our communities and showing them what it takes to get to the next level, the level of effort. It's a lot of work, and we need the parents really engaged. I mean, one of the biggest complaints, I work with a lot of school teachers, and um, one of the biggest complaints I get, especially with Latino students, is that the, the parents never go to the parent-teacher night. Uh, you'll have a very small portion, and that'll show you that, 
It's not that the parents are not engaging the kids. It's the parents, because of the lack of income, are having to work two jobs. or Two or three. Two or three and don't understand that they need to be there. And that's part of the guidance that they need to be for their children. So at some level, there's going to be some a sort of sacrifice to get our communities into prosperity and abundance versus just into, you know, continually staying in poverty. And I know, Gina, you've told me many times over how uh, you're you're trying to intervene on one student's behalf and you don't see those parents there. They, they can't get there. They're not there to see uh, something even in the moment with their child's developmental issues, um, how uh, they can rally and support that student in their best interest. So it's Lewis is talking about um, a much broader kind of way of strategically addressing the household needs. So is there any way, and we know there's fewer resources in public education, but where do you see maybe there is some kind of a, an aspiration that matches what Lewis is talking about? Absolutely. We do have uh, what we call parent institutes or uh, Los Padres uh, centers, and we have a co- person who is a community liaison, and the, uh, this person has a job where they're connected with the school, and they reach out to the parents. And we have parents that re- uh, lead meetings at the school, and uh, this is at a high school setting. Um, I would like to see more of this happening earlier in the child's school life. Um, I can only speak to what we do at the high school level. And um, it's a matter of just uh, working with the families. And I, I personally try to uh, speak with families often. I, I call home. I get translators to help me so there's no miscommunication. And I know that this is one of the things that our school is working on. Yeah, those, yes. those things are really important. You know, it's uh, I grew up in East Los Angeles in Boyle Heights, actually. And the two big high schools there, Garfield and Roosevelt, will play football against each other, and they'll play at East LA College. They'll get like 30,000 people there. But yet, <laughs> yet you know, the, the schools have had a continuous uh, dropout rate of over 50%. It's, I think it's been like 55, 56%. I, I think I heard the mayor, uh, Villarregosa, mentioned the other day that it continues to be the same over the last 40 years. And yet, same. And, and so the problem is that, you know, you cannot change something if you continue doing the same thing. And so our goal is not for the kids to graduate from high school or even get into a college because the ones that that are graduating and going into college, very few are actually graduating from college. And that's where we really need to focus. And I go back to, we need to take a look at certain factors that will do that. That's one. Let's talk about each and every. Okay, let's talk about that. The first thing is that, you know, when a client comes to me and says, Louis, I want to help my child go to college. Can you help me save money for them? And, you know, I would say, yeah, we can do that, but let's take a look at the most important factors that are going to get your kid in and through and out college. Um, Because most Latino parents, what they want is they just want to feel like their kids can be, can take care of themselves if something were to happen to the parents. And I just want my child to be able to succeed in life and have a better life than I have. And so we'll go back and I, I don't ask them for a financial statement. I ask them to bring me their kids' report cards. Right. Okay. And, uh, you know, instead of taking a look at their assets and liabilities and equity, I'm going to take a look at whether they're getting A's, B's and C's. If the kids are getting C's and their parents want them to graduate from college, we're not going to be investing in some mutual fund or a 529 plan or a Coverdell education account. We're going to be investing that money in tutoring, mentoring. Sometimes we're going to even look deeper into the family to see if there's some kind of dysfunction, whether they need to go to family therapy. That level of money will be used and will be leveraged much more highly than putting into something that the kid may never, ever use. And so it's going back to, and I even work with teachers and, and their teachers and calling them and saying, hey, like, for example, Gina, what do you think 
let's say, um, Johnny's potential of going in and graduating from college, or what are potential obstacles, and how can we invest in the child now to give them the highest opportunity of them graduating from college? Uh, we've sent some kids to self-esteem camps, uh, you know, that we've used other nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. Those are the areas in which we need to invest money in the community, not just into what are what I call products that are outside, especially for the financial advisors. Start taking a look at how we can use their money, a family's money, to give the kids a, a, a great opportunity to be successful in life. And for those of you who've just tuned in, you're listening to Ask a Leader here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming worldwide on the web at KUCI.org. My guests are Louis Barajas, financial planner and uh, accountant, and Gina Nessel, educator at Santa Ana High School, talking about the uh, the barriers toward, especially, uh, it, it, we, it really does apply with uh, recent immigrants overall, but we're honing in on the Latina, Latino household constituents. So uh, what we're talking about, and I'd like to have uh, Gina talk about whether she can see where there are opportunities, where maybe there's been some success stories where uh, you've been able to show parents who could come to a conference with you and say, or with or your colleagues, because you're dealing with special ed, uh, so-called client students, but um, how your colleagues and you can uh, bring to the family's attention here, here is a piece that needs addressing. Can you leverage some, you know, wouldn't say leverage to them, but can you put resources aside for giving that student a boost now so that they will be a more proficient student, they'll be able to qualify for a better educational placement? Are there any sort of success story, something you can relate to us so that we can see what Luis Barajas is talking about is, um, is, is operationalizing somehow? Well, I really don't get into how parents are spending their money uh, and how they should save their money. It, it's a little bit, for my, my situation, it gets into too personal of an issue. What I need to do is deal with the student and how they're doing in school. And what I, what I try to do is I, I ask the student, well, what, why are you in school even? And they say, for a better life. And I say, well, what does that mean? I mean, well, you have to go to basics. And then they say, well, I want to go to college. Well, what does that mean? And they're not really sure. So what I we've been doing um, at our school is we've been working with students uh, a whole day. The whole school is doing the same thing, where we're working on students doing personal goals. Okay, so one of the things is even looking at where do you want to live when you're independent what kind of lifestyle do you want to have? Do you want to go out to restaurants once a week? What kind of restaurant? A fast food place? A sit-down place? Fancy? What kind of car do you want to drive? And so then we talk about how much money it takes to live in that environment and do those things. And then we look into what kind of professions you might be interested in and find out what it takes to get into that profession and how long you have to go to school and how much does it cost to go to school? So we're at that stage. So she, Gina can be a one of the best financial planners out there because it's yes. exactly what we're doing, right? It's that whole clarity concept is begin with the end in mind. Know your outcome. Decide in advance what what is your life going to look like when you look back at your legacy and decide, you know, how do I clarify and create clarity as to where I want to be in the long term? That starts the compelling future vision mindset. The next thing is that when we're doing financial planning, like going back to the 10 steps that I have in yes, the book, yes, yes. It's, it's creating a plan. 
So, you know, you know where you're going to you where you want to end up. Once you've had that deep conversation and gotten beyond just the general politically correct answers that kids will give you <laughs> or a client will give you is then saying, OK, this is where you want to be. Now, where do we start? Let's create a plan and then taking a look at the actual resources of what they have available now and then using those resources to organize them to get them to move forward and take just sometimes just a couple of steps, like going back to that whole concept of perceived progress. It might be just having a written plan, something in writing, something that they've talked to a mentor. It, it's And then getting emotionally connected because what will happen is a lot of these kids or parents or anybody who's going after a goal will we'll just set it and it's just on paper. But if they're not emotionally connected, if they don't have any kind of really deep desire to achieve that goal, somehow it just becomes it's kind of like, well, it's kind of like the New York, the, the New Year's resolution, right? It's right. never really a it's goal. It, it, Absolutely. And so it's the same concepts that we use. It's just now my job is to focus on the financial side. Gina's job is to focus on the education side because those two are extremely powerful. You can change the world with the money and the education. You know, you give somebody a lot of money and no education, it's, it can cause a lot of problems. Give somebody a lot of education and no money, you know, they're still going to struggle. They'll be in survival mode. You combine those two, you can change the world. Wow. I'm, we have just a few minutes remaining here today. So I, I think uh, you've talked about in your book, uh, which is well laid out with sort of easing the, both the prospective financial planner and a, a sort of an eye on the, the, the clients themselves about these potholes. And for the, the for any financial planners that are listening, the potholes where, where there's a perception of the way they're approaching it might be considered racist, but you want them to head attack head on some of these kind of cultural differences so yeah. they address what's really r why they're running adrift in that financial planning right so i'll quickly run down through Please a few do. Po potholes and i always call it in the book i call it the patron peon system sometimes we come from you know we come from for example like mexico where we're used to an agricultural you know, society and we've always depended on others to take care of us so a lot of the parents you know they struggle to get over here and they end up working for a company and they want their kids uh, to to you know uh, work at a big company. The world's not like that. We're in a you know, global economy now. It's very competitive. Um, you know, they ex people expect that Social Security is going to be their retirement plan. It's not. You can't depend on others. You've got to start looking at things in a different way. I also call it the mi compadre syndrome. Mi compadre means that go to the person in your family who's got the most amount of exper expertise in a certain area, but they may not be an expert in the area that you need. So um, I, I see a lot of people who need financial advice, and they go to their um, uncle or their tío who owns the uh, used car shop, and he's giving them financial advice about getting loans or, I don't know, buying insurance or, I don't know, buying a house, something that that person's not going to be an expert. We also see in our communities a lot of non-experts, people out there who open up shops who are financial planners, but they're doing taxes, selling insurance. Um, uh, you're predators. Know, sending money to their other countries, selling you phones, selling you phone cards, marrying you, divorcing you, it's all in one shop, right? And they're really predators taking advantage of, of, of the situation. Uh, business on a handshake because we lack education and, and you know we have that kind of cultural uh, background it's it's more of that informality instead of really signing papers looking at documents understanding them understanding what you're signing we don't do that we just kind of hey the person's wearing a tie has a nice suit I, I guess I can trust the guy take it at face value and that's not what we need to do we need to be a little bit more uh, focused on looking at the details and not getting ripped off um, sometimes we have a very fatalistic attitude. It depends. I, I hate to get into this because it can become kind of rather religious, but it's like, well, God wants me to be poor because, I mean, God wants me to be poor. 
or this is a hand that I've been dealt with. I don't have that perceived control that I talk about. And and so we That's have... That's hugely powerful, that mindset. It's extremely powerful, you know, and, and there's sayings in Spanish that I use, but basically, you know, there's, there's a saying in Spanish, uno pone, Dios dispone, but the thing is that you still have to, you know, um, put your effort in. And uh, then we have what's called sometimes the lotto mentality in our communities, our poor communities. Their only way out tied to that fatalistic attitude is... Well, the only way I'm ever going to have anything is unless I get really super lucky and get hit by lightning five times or I win the lotto, right? And But they're in line buying lotto tickets where they're not in line buying mutual funds or investing in their 401k or in their retirement plan through work. So another one, we call it another one I call the mañana syndrome. Again, that's for everybody as well, but it's that whole level of procrastination, right? We wait until, I'll take care of it tomorrow, I'll take care of it tomorrow, and tomorrow comes so fast that we never took care of it. And we know that uh, with finances, the whole theory of compounding is that it takes a lot of time to achieve a certain level of wealth. And then we have another one called the what I call conflicting beliefs about money. You know, we're, we're taught that if you're poor, um, that poor people are righteous, they're good people, and that rich people, uh, if you have a lot of money, you're going to end up being bad. Well, that's not true. I've worked with multimillionaires and billionaires, and I've seen some real jerks, and I've seen some incredible people. I've worked in poverty, I mean really poor areas, where I've seen some of the happiest, nicest, most wonderful poor people, but I've also seen some of the meanest people that are ripping off their own parents. And so money is just a magnifier of who you are. It doesn't make you any better. So whether you're rich or poor, money doesn't make you any more. But in our communities, we're taught, well, maybe you know, there's a good thing about poverty. You're not going to end up like you know, the people you see on TV, like the Kardashians or whatever people. Oh, please. We're not, so, this is my community radio so, show. We're not even going to bring that. Yeah. They get some airplane. <laughs> but anyway, that, it, it got let out. Yeah. So anyway, so you're saying about that. Dichotomy. Yeah. So it's economy is, is you, you have to understand that if we can be happy and have money, then what's wrong with that? Right. I don't want to be a role model for for struggle. I, I want to be a role model and, and, and I want to do good and I want to do well. And I want to teach my community that you can do good and you can do well. But we have to support each other. We have to be there for each other. We have to be able to help one another out. But when there is poverty, we have that survival mindset, that struggle mindset. And so almost we get into that reptilian brain where where it's almost like it's just there's not enough for everyone. So I better get my share first. And it doesn't have to be and that soak way. soak the sun up during the daytime. So, Ab- yeah, absolutely. And duck, but well, we, we need to wrap this up. But I, I want for the us to leave I, I don't know what kind of a case study we can close out but maybe a, a, the takeaway message is for everybody to understand that prosperity in these households is going to be prosperity for the generalized society and we we all have skin in this game absolutely you 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 need um, when we're all in, in a stability mode and and having some level of success, everyone wins. Understand that the, the largest demographic in America is the Latino community, and we cannot be at this point where um, we are the, also the poorest community in America. And if it's going to affect all of us, we need to make sure that we all all are successful. Well, I want to thank both of you for being here. I, before I close completely, I want to know let people know Luis Barajas has many resources on his own website. It's luisbarajas.com. That's L-O. I keep saying Luis. It's Luis. L-O-U-I-S-B-A-R-A-J-A-S.com, where you can get a listing of all of his books, other publications, upcoming appearances, and previous appearances on television on radio and uh you can uh we can all pitch in i i just i know you're spread really thin with what you're doing in uh so many different communities and business networks and that kind of thing and i laud you for that and i also want to take stock and i laud gina nessel for she's working meaner and harder with less and less every 
quarter that comes up around at her school calendar. And so she's uh, regenerating this summer. And I want everybody to understand how much we need to support every educator out there who's trying to hold together what's fallen apart in the households and showing up on those report cards. Gina Nessel, thank you also thank for you, being Claudia. on Ask a Leader. Luis Barajas, all the best, and thank you so much for thank coming, you, what you do all the time. Thank you. Well, we're going to be back in just a little bit uh, with Don Lipstein, who is a, a coordinating peer mentor for the Tragedy Assistance Program, TAPS, and w- for survivors. So uh, we'll be back in just a bit. Thanks for staying with us right now. Mm-hmm. 